Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people at morbidlybeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful for their lineup of podcasts, articles, interviews, retrospectives, reviews, introspectives, everything you want in the realm of horror pop culture. Definitely worth a check out, especially in this quarantine time. Really hope you do have some time to go check out what they have to offer. Now, the podcast today, I'm going to harken back to a couple of weeks ago when I looked at a UFO encounter. The Phoenix Lights, you might remember that. If not, go check out that episode now and then come back for this one because this one is about a Canadian UFO sighting. Now, I know not often do people associate Canada with strange mysteries and unique happenings, but believe it or not, we do have our own share of mysteries and monsters and, of course, UFOs up here as well. I shared a story with you the last time I talked about UFOs about a personal experience I had with one off in the distance. But this is one of the most documented UFO sightings in Canadian history. This is the Shag Harbor UFO Incident. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. The year was 1967, and it was a special year for Canada as it was the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won a Stanley Cup. Yep, you heard that right. It's been a very long time since they won anything. Also, it was Canada's 100th birthday. That's right, it was the centennial of Canada. And it happened to also be the year a small village off the coast of Nova Scotia spotted something in the sky. Nobody knows what it was, where it came from, or what really happened that night. It is officially documented as a UFO sighting by the Department of National Defense in the Library and Archives of Canada. But what just happened that night? Well, like most documented UFO cases, there's a pretty good timeline of exactly what happened and when. Like I said, it all started in 1967, October 4th to be exact. It was first spotted by Air Canada Captain Pierre Charbonneau on Flight 305, which was headed to Toronto National Airport, or Pearson International Airport, for us locals who understand what that means. Charbonneau pointed out to his co-pilot Bob Ralph that there was something strange out the left side of the aircraft at around 7.15pm. Charbonneau reported an object tracking alongside a parallel course a few miles away. He describes it as brilliantly lit, a rectangular object with a string of smaller lights trailing the object from behind. At around 7.19, the pilots noticed a sizable, silent explosion near the object. Two minutes later, a second explosion occurred, which faded to a blue cloud around the object. Later that evening, witnesses noticed the extremely bright lights associated with a UFO and reported the sightings to the Coast Guard, as well as to CFB Greenwood and the Lunenburg Detachment of the RCMP. In the Halifax Chronicle Herald and local radio stations reported a glowing object that had been seen by many people who had called their newsroom. They reported witnessing strange glowing objects flying around Halifax at around 10 p.m. This is about three hours after the initial sighting by the Air Canada pilots. 
Sometime around 11.20, something happened. Out of nowhere, this supposed unknown spacecraft fell from the sky. It crashed into the water off the coast of Shag Harbor. Witnesses reported hearing a loud whistling noise like a falling bomb, and then a big whoosh, followed by a big bang, and suddenly there were no more lights. Ultimately, because the distressed object could not be identified, it was officially documented with the Government of Canada as a UFO sighting. Now, to have all their bases covered, the government sent out a rescue crew, and it assembled rather quickly. The Coast Guard military personnel and the RCMP officers rushed out to the scene. They assumed it must have been a plane from the RCMP and contacted the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax to advise them of the situation. They went out to assess whatever happened, if this was their aircraft or if this was maybe an enemy aircraft. This was the 60s. Cold War was kind of in the middle of it right now. However, after an exhausting search into the hours of the morning, rescue crews found no signs of survivors, bodies, or even debris. By morning, it was determined that no aircraft had gone missing or was unaccounted for. Later that morning, the RCC, the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax, also sent a priority telex to the air desk at the Royal Canadian Air Force headquarters in Ottawa, which handled all civilian and military UFO sightings, informing them of the crash and that all conventional explanation for such an aircraft didn't exist. No flares, no weather balloons, nothing. It had all been dismissed. Accordingly, this was labeled a UFO report. The head of the air desk then sent another priority telex to the Canadian Royal Navy headquarters concerning the UFO report and recommended an underwater search be mounted. Two days after the incident had been observed, a detachment of RCN or Royal Canadian Navy divers from the fleet of diving unit Atlantic was assembled and for the next three days they combed the seafloor of the Gulf of Maine off Shag Harbor, looking for any sign of any object that may have crashed there. The final report said no trace of an object was found. The head of the Royal Canadian Air Force Air Desk in Ottawa, Squadron Leader Bain, who recommended the RCN undertake an underwater search, was also quoted saying the RCAF, or the Royal Canadian Air Force, was very interested in the matter. Quote, We get hundreds of reports every week, but the Shag Harbor incident is one of the few where we may get something concrete on it. The article also mentioned UFO reports that immediately preceded the incident, including one from a woman in Halifax around 10 p.m. The Chronicle Herald ran another story on October 9th titled UFO Search Called Off after the Royal Canadian Navy, or the RCN, had ended an intensive undersea search for the mysterious unidentified flying object that disappeared into the ocean here on Wednesday night. As to what was found, the RCN stated, quote, not a trace, not a clue, not a bit of anything. The story of the search being called off for alleged mysterious dark object was also carried by the Canadian press and some other Canadian newspapers. Now, while Shag Harbor is nowhere near the size of Area 51 or Roswell or any of the big American ones, it does hold a special place in Canadian lore. Shag Harbor is a tiny fishing village, as I mentioned off the top, with a population of about four to 450 people. It is technically, I guess, our Area 51. But what happened to that UFO that day? Well, there's a lot of speculation, but let's get to some witness testimony and some other coverage of the event. As recent as last year, 
The CTV News Department in Atlantic Canada did a follow-up story on this. They talked to some witnesses, and one of those witnesses was Lori Wickens, who was just a teenager at the time of the incident. Quote, We see four lights in the sky, and over the land here. We thought it was a plane and never paid no attention. More or less, we just watched the lights go on and off. However, her and her friends continued to follow the UFO and its bright lights. And they weren't the only ones. Other residents, including an off-duty police officer, watched the object with orange-yellow lights go off and on in sequence. Wickens also said it went across the road in front of us, behind the hill. We couldn't see it. We made it to the top of the hill. There was a light in the water. We went to the phone booth and called the RCMP and reported a plane crash. Wickens also says that the bright object appeared to be floating one half mile from the shore. It left a yellow trail of foam that folks watched for nearly an hour before it disappeared. The Canadian Coast Guard and fishing vessels sailed to the area to search for wreckage, but as we just discovered, nothing was ever found. Got no idea what it is, Wickens said. All I know is we seen something. It is important to note here, well, maybe not important to note, but it is worthy of note that it is such a big event in the area that the Canadian Mint, the people responsible for our money up here, released a commemorative Shag Harbor UFO incident coin, which quickly sold out online. Now, it's not uncommon for governments or really anybody to promote or use something like this to publicize and get all the attention they want out of this, so... It's not surprising that the Royal Canadian Mint decided to release something like this. They said that the credibility of the witnesses is just amazing. We have witnesses from the military, we have pilots who were witnesses to the event, local RCMP officers and residents, like Laurie and his friends. So, it was a great story to tell. There's also a festival that takes place in Shag Harbor called the Shag Harbor UFO Festival, and it brings around thousands of visitors to the UFO Museum every year. And some locals have a very strange connection, or a personal connection, I don't want to label anything strange here, but they have a connection with the event. Leonard Nicholson, whose mother went into labor with him on the night of the incident, causing people to quote-unquote tease him that he's not from this planet. That just maybe. Like last week's Marshall Applewhite, he had an alien father, or an alien birth, or... Something along those lines. It's very unclear still what Marshall was thinking. But I don't think Nickerson really believes he's not of this earth. But it just goes to show the connection that this incident has with the community. And not just around Shag Harbor, but around Nova Scotia in general. Maybe even all of Canada. It's a very prominent UFO sighting that really garners a lot of attention nationwide and worldwide. Thousands of people flock to this small community at least once a year to visit the museum and attend the UFO festival. Now, another piece of interesting information that I came across during my research of this does hit a personal note. As I mentioned, can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but I did see something in the sky that I could not explain. At the time, I really didn't think much of it. I thought maybe just an airplane, even though it was massive, off in the distance, wasn't really moving and then it suddenly disappeared. But when I mentioned that story last time I talked about UFOs, I mentioned that nobody else really had any reports about it. Nobody I knew saw it. Nobody really reported it. There was nothing in the news about it. But it just so happens that on a list that I found of notable UFO sightings in Canada, 
multiple reports of UFO sightings over Toronto, Ontario in July of 2004. That puts it the time frame very, very close, if not the exact same, to when I had my incident. Was I one of the people who saw this? Were there others? I really, really want to know who else saw this. If you did a witness the UFO sightings over Toronto in July of 2014, during the last week of July of 2014, I should note, please contact me. I want to know if we saw the same thing. I never reported this. I was young at the time, I didn't really know what to do, and again, I didn't think much of it. My 26-year-old brain, I guess, really couldn't comprehend what was going on. And I was told I was crazy by many people who I told that I saw a UFO. So, I didn't really want to publicize it all that much. Still, that offer stands. If you did see something that time, let me know. Send me an email at horrorshotspodcast at gmail.com or a DM on any of my social medias, which we'll get to in just a little bit. I'll have you on the show. I really want to hear what you have to say. Now, during my research of this, I did discover as well that there are a lot of UFO sightings in Canada in general. It's very fascinating how much activity actually occurs in the skies above. Ontario, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, BC, a lot of these big provinces with a lot of populations have a lot of UFO activity. And I found an article here from LiveScience.com in which they feature a collection of UFO sightings. Recently, the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg got a very sizable donation of more than 30,000 UFO-related documents to the school's archives. The donation comes courtesy of Chris Rudikowski, a science writer and prolific Canadian ufologist. Rudikowski's collection includes more than 20,000 UFO reports filed over the past 30 years, plus more than 10,000 UFO-related documents from the Canadian government. Many of these documents concern an infamous UFO encounter known as the Falcon Lake Incident, an encounter that Rutkowski calls Canada's best documented UFO case. So why didn't I cover that one, you ask? Well, maybe there's a two-parter involved here. Maybe next week, we'll cover the Falcon Lake Incident. Hmm? How does that sound? I'm really on this UFO train for some reason, and I don't know why. Maybe somebody's watching me. I don't know. Nevertheless, I'll give you a sneak peek. Rudikowski told the CBC that it beats even the Roswell alleged flight saucer spotted over New Mexico in 1947 because the United States still doesn't recognize that anything happened in Roswell at that time. The Falcon Lake incident, meanwhile, struck both U.S. and Canadian officials as unusual and unexplainable. The incident itself occurred on May 20th, 1967. Ring a bell? when an amateur geologist named Stephen McCulloch was prospecting for quartz near Falcon Lake, Manitoba, the Canadian province that begins above North Dakota and stretches nearly 800 miles or 1,200 kilometers for you Canadians and pretty much everybody who's not an American, into the frigid north. During his survey, McCulloch was startled by a flock of agitated geese swooping past him. And if you have never had an incident with a Canadian goose, it's terrifying, especially if it's a flock. Jeez. According to McCulloch's numerous retellings of the story, the geese were apparently fleeing from two glowing, cigar-shaped objects in the sky. One of the objects flew off, and the other landed on a rocky terrace nearby. But that's all I'm going to give you. 
You're just gonna have to listen to next week's episode when I cover the Falcon Lake incident. And that's what we in the biz call a cliffhanger. Learn that the first day of radio school. Leave the listener wanting more. And that's just what I'm gonna do. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Any five-star review that is left will be read out on the show, so it is the best way to get a shout-out. Also, be sure to hit me up on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd, as in production, on Instagram at OminousOriginsPod, on Facebook at HorrorShots, or if you do want to support the show financially, you can do so at Patreon.com slash HorrorShots. Or if you would like to rock some merch, you can do that as well and hit up my Redbubble store where the link is in the description. That's all I got for you today. Until next time.